All right, all right, all right. So here we are. So hello, this is No Chick Flick Moments, a supernatural podcast, and it's our first episode, so give us a round of applause. Yay! Yay! Um, I am your co-host, Remy. And I am your other co-host, B. We are going to be talking about today, season 14, episode one. Like I said, this is our first episode of our season 14 hiatus rewatch. Episode one is a Stranger in a Strange Land. It was written by Andrew Dabb and directed by Thomas J. Wright. The outline or the episode description was, is Sam, Mary, and the Apocalypse World refugees continue their search for Dean. Meanwhile, Cassiel's attempt to to get information from a demon does not go according to plan to say the least <laughs> hey that, that that was actually that's actually more true to the actual episode than most yeah we start off right away with sam and his grief beard driving in the rain the grief beard the grief the beard, grief beard. It was a beautiful first first image of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, Excellent shot, although it was really short because we skip almost immediately over to Jamil, this character who has awakened for prayer. A holy man. A holy man. As he is going through his prayers, he looks up to find Michael appearing in the sofa chair. Yeah, our first our first look at... Uh, no, it's not our first look at uh, Michael Dean. I was going to say our first look at Michael Dean but we did get that the 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 our first glimpse at the finale of last season. So yeah, we got that slight teaser of seeing him with his uh, paperboy cap on, and then <laughs> here he is sitting quite. Um, I don't know if I would say smugly. I would certainly not say regally, but he's trying to be intimidating to this guy. He doesn't have to try very hard. No. Yeah, he pretty much falls immediately back on his ass, and they <laughs> play a quick guessing game. He's he's not God. He's not Gabriel. He's the better one. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, there we go. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So, so thank you again, Michael. You're quite humble as you're coming in here. And we're brought with what is basically the theme for this episode, which is what do you want? How did... What 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 did you think with that like question? I know on initial watch it didn't strike me as hard as it does with hindsight. That what do you want? It just looked to me initially that Michael was trying to catch people in lies or he was using an excuse to look down on whoever his asker was. Like it didn't matter what you said, he was going to find some way to tear it apart. So that was my initial impression with this was he was just using an excuse to be like, actually, here's how you're feeding me bullshit and you don't even know it. Yeah, and and yeah, he's like you said, he's definitely looking for an ex. Uh, I I don't even know what he's looking for, but it's not what people have been feeding him so far. I did think it was really interesting. I thought, okay, so this is this is though the first time that we have seen Jensen actually play as Michael and he and and you know the first time even that we've seen Jensen play as anything or anybody other than Dean he is just very centered I don't know it's hard I don't know how to explain it but he 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 has like this still core inside of him Yes. And he also is like, he knows the answer that he's looking for. And you can and you can see that he knows the answer that he's looking for. Um, but we don't know what that answer is yet. And I don't I don't even I don't I don't know where we're even going yet. But 
Yeah. And to have something that you would almost see anyone come up with their first answer of like, what do you want? Well, I want peace and love. And then you see Michael immediately turn around and point out the inconsistencies in your own life saying, you know, if this is the things that you really wanted, then how come you behaved in these other manners? Basically go into a QED moment of you don't even know what you want yeah, it, exactly. And if you're lost or if you're unsure, if you're not resolute or absolute in, in your identity, then there's no place for you in, in, in Michael's better world, which is how he ends this scene. He says, I want what I've always wanted, a better world. Yeah. And what a topic that could be right there, because how do you define a better world? What we're seeing from Michael's perspective is just a world without indecision, I guess, that there is a clarity between a thought and an action. And he's not coming to these people looking to help. He's just looking to pass judgment. So then we have Mary and the Hunter Hub. Yes. Our first glimpse into the Hunter Hub. Our first glorious glimpse. I loved it. I was so excited to see all of the activity that was going on inside of the bunker. Yeah. We maybe have half a dozen people in there at any given time. And all of a sudden, there's all cogs turning. The wheels are moving. And there's just so much activity. It's really fresh and really exciting. I enjoyed it so much. Oh, absolutely. And you really do. It's so interesting to see the bunker in this new light because for the past so many years, it's been Sam and Dean's home, the Batcave. But to see it like this, it's it's a way that we haven't even seen it when we got like Men of Letters flashbacks in season nine or 10. It's just this hive of activity that actually like fits the bunker so well as the Batcave, as the Hunter Hub. It was just this moment of, oh, this is how it should be. Yeah, this is what it could be. And yes, as a season opener, it spoke to so much possibility of what roads they could follow down this. Now we see a whole gaggle of side characters that are involved in hunting. And, you know, there are opportunities available to either bring them in as side bits or to follow them. Like, there's just so many questions that are raised as soon as you bring more people to the equation yeah definitely and yeah we got to see a hunter like coming out of the kitchen like soups on fuckers i was gritting ear to ear oh just the vibrancy of the place chief chief (laughs) chief lord I, okay, so from the get-go, I mean, we are we are seeing Sam's star shine, which I am always here for. I always, like, just get so excited. I love, like, I love everything that they've done with Sam this episode. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, because so often we see him as more of the supportive role. Like, um, he leans towards doing more thoughtful a moment before action. And here he is in a role where he has to step up. He has to be the decisive one. And it really is bringing out this side of his character that we don't get to see often. And I'm, I'm so glad that we get to now. 
You you can almost see him looking over his shoulder like to where Dean's not and say, what do we do? But but he rises to the occasion spectacularly. Yeah, he, he has to make the decisions. It's only been three weeks since Dean's gone. And yet he has really thrown himself into this new role. Um, he's almost taking a page out of Dean's book where it is through action that he keeps his mind busy. And it is finding a course, finding a path that is keeping him sane right now right right and i could talk for 20 minutes on uh how many feels this whole hunter hub chief action sam and this like glimpse into who sam is without dean and how this ties into or it mirrors the themes of season 12 with the british men of letters Mm -hmm. and the hunter network that sam was building and how excited he was for for that opportunity and he saw the possibilities of it um like i said i could talk for 20 minutes on this i won't subject (laughs) you guys to that but (laughs) it it just like threw me right straight back there and it was like his dream realized and he's unfortunately too tied up in Dean and trying to find his brother to not to say he doesn't appreciate it but to even like dedicate himself to it in the way that we know he wants to yeah he is midstream of this right now he's not able to take a step back you can see like he's not eating he's barely sleeping and he is just moving from one thing to the next Good shit. Good shit, good shit. Finger kisses. Yes. (laughs) And Sam asks after Jack. And then we go to Jack getting whooped by Bobby. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I liked that too. It it just rang very wholesome to me. You know, he's Jack's getting a beating and I'm like, oh, it's so cute. But it was kind of cute. Yeah, like he is looking to gain some skills now that he's lost the ones that he's been relying on so heavily. It was really nice to see Bobby as the mentor in this moment because they had such a history over in the apocalypse world and to have that carry forward. I was pleased with that level of consistency. Mm-hmm. And and we start sowing the seeds of Jack's resentment. Is that the right word? I don't know if I would put it as resentment, but he just is feeling helpless. Mm-hmm. He, he has a perception where it is his usefulness and his ability to help the people around him that he considers his value in. We'll call it the Castiel factor. The Castiel factor. <laughs> Uh huh. If he's not useful to the people around him, if he can't protect the world against this Michael that's infiltrated, then he sits there very frustrated, almost beating himself up for not being able to help more. Yeah. It's like he feels like he's lacking because he can see all the hunters around him in action and he could see Sam in action. All of these skills that they're able to bring to the table. And so far as Jack knows, his only skills are, you know, the flashbang of his powers. And to try and get more, I mean, he was born with those powers. He, Mm -hmm. But now that he's human, it's like, okay, I have to learn how to box. And it's not something that comes with a snap of a fingers. I need to rely on other people to get this going and even then I'm not going quickly enough I'm just like he 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 feels useless 
in kind of a Cassiel way when he doesn't have his powers. He's yes. tying he's tying his worth to his powers, but I think he's also very like frustrated and a, oh, it's petulant almost, but he's also like a infant, so <laughs> Anyways, um, let's move on. Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. So our next scene, we go to that Motown barbecue exterior where a well-dressed demon enters and approaches Castiel's table. And Cass is my mood too, where he just goes, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Definitely. It was definitely my mood in the moment where I'm just like, really? Like, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> yeah, we're invited to judge this character that's just shown up and that is being a little ostentatious and just being like, oh god, what's coming? <laughs> and very Crowley. I remember on the first watch, I was like, every single scene that had this demon, this as of yet unnamed demon in it, I was just rolling my eyes. Now, I actually really, really, really liked him on the rewatch. Yeah. I did. And I I have thoughts about him with regards to Michael's question too. Yeah. And I don't even know if I even gave it a second thought that uh, when I first watched it, that Kip, the, the demon, was actually asked Michael's question and and that's just so interesting. I don't know. Yeah, that his whole affectation was invited after he was given that thought-provoking question and came to his own conclusions of like, well, I want everything. And again, I think that there is this really neat show-don't-tell aspect that Michael would have found him wanting because Kip is coming in acting like somebody else, pulling the manner of a king. This is mm. not kingly behavior to do what he actually wants to do and instead he's going to mimic what he knows best crowley yeah which he really brought it back around because like you know when when we first when he's first introduced as a character the viewer and Cass is just like oh god yeah what's this yeah what is this but then you know we are we are ultimately like given a reason for it and it's an interesting reason yeah it it fits all together with where he has decided okay I want to be the king of hell this is the role model I'm choosing for it and and, you know, is this even actually what he wants or is this just what he has landed on after being asked that question by Michael and not really being able to answer it at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so then we have Cass saying, like, okay, I need information because he's looking for Dean. And Kit goes, like, oh my god, like, you lost a Winchester? Uh-huh. Oh, that's hilarious. You and Dean? The facial expressions that he has when he does the joint at the everything. And Cass is just already, like, I am so done. Uh-huh. Again, it goes to how much of Kip's affectation he's working with. Like, is he being purposefully annoying? Is this what he sees as Crowley's behavior towards them? And and he's he's having fun. And and Cass is having none of it. He uh-huh. goes immediately to the threats, like I will burn you to ash. And so there is this whole invoked smoldering fury that he has. And Kip just goes, oh yeah, I don't really care, and gets his reinforced. And yes, so Cass was done pretty dirty this episode, wasn't he? (laughs) He was done dirty. He was immediately subdued. 
my question was, well, how did he not realize that there were more demons there? I, I know. I, don't demons have a true face that angels are able to see? And so he's been sitting there, presumably been looking around, but he's he just been too distracted by the worries that he has? Or does he just not care? There's no way. He, well, uh, well, he definitely couldn't have known. I mean, he was ambushed. He was surprised by the ambush. But yes, he is still an angel. He could sense the demons, we assume. But for now, we're just kind of like, what? He just got his ass handed to him? Uh-huh. Uh, Cassiel, angel of the Lord? Who that? Uh, who that? <laughs> yeah, and then so the next thing that we go to is at a church in Duluth where Sister Joe is scamming, same as usual. Now, she is healing people. She's doing what she promises to do. She's she's a bit of a charlatan about it, but she is healing people. Oh, I, I'm not sitting here being like, she's a villain. I'm like, good on you, you little entrepreneur you. <laughs> Uh-huh. And like living the dream, walking through a back alley with a handful of cash, just counting it. I'm like, yep, yeah, I would love to have like that level of security in myself and my surroundings and my finances to be able to pull off a stunt like that. I would love to have her jacket. That jacket was on point. I loved her outfit. Mm-hmm. And, and we get Jensen and Daniil or Michael and Joe, which was fun. She immediately, again, does the, oh God. Uh-huh. I, I wonder how much Michael actually dislikes being compared. Like, do you think that he resents being compared to God? Because he certainly seemed to resent being compared to Gabriel. I agree that he resented being compared to Gabriel. But when when the holy man, what was his name? Jamil. Jamil said, or he said, are you God? And Michael said, close enough. Yeah. So I would say he resented being compared to Gabriel, but he actually kind of like preened under that question, are you God? Yeah. And we get, um, so in the alley with, with Anael, we, we get a glimpse of the true form, which I know many people were very, very excited about. Yes. Uh-huh. I was hoping for more wings. I understand why they did just the two, but I'm like, if Seraphs get six, let's see an archangel that is just straight up blowing the the contrast of my TV, just just completely fucking it up. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Give me, give me so much glow that the TV can't handle it. Yeah. I would, uh, yeah. And it was so brief, too. It was in the show, in the moment. It was like maybe a second and a half. Yeah, it was really quick, but it was really striking because, again, we're reminded that angels have a different vision when it comes to the world. And it makes you think about Castiel walking around looking at his brother. And it's like, how many of them look like glow sticks? (laughs) Or Castiel walking into Motown Meats and not seeing the room full of literal demons. Yeah, hey, hey, look at all these smoky shadows. It's really dark in here. It's like, no honey (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah i like but Joe, um, she recognizes Dean. She recognizes Alt versus Michael. And she just can't believe why would Dean say yes. And Michael answers it by saying that he said yes for love. And you know what I thought was really interesting is that when Michael asks Joe, what do you want? And she answers with something flippant. Yeah, she goes off on brand names. And then it, Michael says no. You answer with a lie 
you don't get my respect. Yes. And Michael says, you want love, which are, which was a very, very like pretty mirror of what Michael just said Dean fell for. Mm-hmm. Why he said yes. Why he said yes. And I, I was like looking at that a little sideways too. Yeah, that when he walks by her and he has his back to her, she looks like someone who is hurt by the concept that she doesn't have a family or a home he mentions, you know, I can sense how many angels are out there and I could do something about that, but why would I when they're all like you? So very human and disappointing. And just having the thought brought up that there's so few of her brethren seems to, I wouldn't say rattle her, but she does turn more pensive at it. It made me think that, you know, she like she might be the rebel pretending to care about all these frivolities, but she probably has people that she lost along the way and has given her reason to harden her heart against it. And and on on AL, I mean, he definitely hit where it hurt for her. You you saw her growing, you know, pensive and I would say passive. Yes. And I think that's what leads to, I mean, well, one, she's got a healthy self, sense of uh, self-preservation. So so she's going to go with what Michael says in, in the moment. But it's also, she knows that he does have this power. And he says, like, I can help with that. There, there are so few angels left. But um, it's like a, a moment of hope that he immediately, like, dismantles by saying, but you want these little human things in in michael's eyes this this want for love want for family want for a home it's all the same shit it's all in the same category of like smallness he says no you don't want the pretty things these material things you want something worse you want human emotions yeah it's not even the trappings of humanity it's the meat and bones of humanity Mm -hmm. you aren't as separated from it as you think Mm -hmm. yes yes so after Anael and Michael, we go to Sam checking on Jack in his room. And he segues in saying he spoke to Bobby and it seems like Jack is having a rough day. Yes. And Jack to me seemed like he was on the ready to say that he was fine. And he says it in a way that is very superficial. Sam tries sympathizing about where Jack is without his powers, and he says, like, Jack will get past it. Sam has faith in this. Yeah. We're getting more of a, a foundation on where Jack is right now, you know? How is he really feeling about this new, like, human state of himself? Yeah. And also that Sam is getting pulled in so many directions at once and doesn't really have time for Jack. And before he can really get into any detail with how Jack really is, is doing. Mary interrupts to say that Nick's awake. Yes, he is awake. Yeah, so Sam leaves and Jack almost seems ready, like he just is expecting it. Yeah. When Sam gets outside the door where Nick is being held, he he has to steal himself before he can go in and turn on the light. We see a lot of that from Sam in this scene and and I really I, I loved everything that Jared did here. Um 
yes. Yeah, so we see Sam steal himself before he goes into the room. And he actually even talked with Mary to say, did he say anything? Uh, and Mary said, I don't, I didn't talk to him. I can't even look at him. Yeah. I think she hasn't had hardly half the time experience that Sam has had. And then Sam is able to find this course, go in and not only look at Nick, but to ask after his well-being and to treat physical wounds on him. And he's just so compassionate. It's so, yes, it's Again, Sam's shining star this episode. He is he is everything good <laughs> in himself right now for all that he is exhausted and pulled six different ways and so scared mm-hmm. of of Nick and yes. and of, you know, the whole Dean situation and of having these hunters lives in his hands and six different things like I said. <laughs> But still, he he goes into the room, and Nick is sitting in the dark, staring at the wall like a fucking creeper. Uh, like what the what the fuck was that? I I feel like they're trying to show <laughs> the kid isn't all right. That <laughs> these nightmares that he's having, he says they're getting better. So who can even guess what the last three weeks look like if this is where he's currently at? You know. Ugh. So I'm trying to like, I'm trying to project my mind and feelings back to October 2018. Uh, and, and how I felt in the moment when we turn, when we opened that door and there's Mark P. And, <laughs> you know, at this point, we don't know if it's Nick or Lucifer. I mean, we were told pretty quick that it was Lucifer. Oh, that was Nick, not Lucifer. But oh my God, after the like sigh of relief, Lucifer death, like the just perfect re- resolution on that and in the finale of the last season to see to see Nick it was it was like it was a slap to, in the face I mean it's it's the tension ratcheted right back up but you're like we can't get a break you know Lucifer yeah. is still here he still is haunting everything and it's like my god there was so much relief for Sam at the end of season 13 because there there's this demon this literal demon that has been haunting him for a decade a decade and then we don't even get to be one episode later before that phantom has returned but i also recall when first seeing nick that i was almost intrigued by the implications that went along with it like we hear sam throw out the theory that the archangel blade is designed to kill the angel not the vessel but that was still not in line with what nick actually is according to the continuity of the show right nick it well i I should i should just like solo rant at my mic and release a special episode about why is nick even here (laughs) like like lucifer's body was not even nick's body it was a vessel it was a cage it was an inanimate like soulless thing it was a thing that crowley manufactured and it's like did did he need nick's little old hell soul in order to design it was nick even in hell does he does does nick get in in heaven why wouldn't he for saying well yeah okay 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 so back on topic 
so Sam, yeah, Nick's in the dark like a creeper, and and Sam is so compassionate and so composed, and Sam leaves the room and just lets out the breath that he's been holding. Yeah, his breath shakes, and I'm thinking of when he says later to Cass that like he would do anything to try and find Dean, and here he is stepping in this room, taking care of Lucifer's vessel taking the opportunity to to ask if Nick remembers anything of what Michael might have said to Lucifer, you know, if there's any details that they can use. And Sam is in the hallway and he gets a phone call. Yep. And Kip is like, hey, it's me, a boy, the one who stole <laughs> your angel. Like, again, I'm like, your affectation is intentionally irritating and I, I love it. I do love it, though. I mean, I remember I remember hating it. Like, I, again, I think that I just like, at the second that he walked through the door, I was like, no, no. But then on the rewatch, you can actually appreciate his choices and his character. And what his role is for this, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's fun. I think it's fun. And then we go over to the war room where Sam is busy packing up his bag and Mary's like, you know this is a trap, right? And it's like, almost oh, definitely. And Bobby, Jack, and Maggie are listening in and Sam is just saying, like, we're going to get Cass back, you know, pack the usual stuff. Mary will come with me. Bobby, you'll go with Maggie. And Jack wants to join and he says it's because he has to. Yes. So Bobby jumps in and immediately he's like, no, the the kid's not ready for this. This is not... He's gonna, he's, he's basically, I mean, he didn't say this, but Bobby can recognize that Jack would not only endanger himself, he'd be a liability. And I thought that Sam shouldn't have brushed it off in the moment. You know, he, he just said, Jack needs this and Bobby kind of accepted it. But Bobby knows better than Sam does, who we have been shown has not been around. He just did a round trip to Atlanta, Georgia. He's been gone. I mean, we assume he's been living out in the Impala basically for the past three weeks. Yeah, he hasn't spent any real quality time around the bunker. And yet he will make this call just because he understands or he empathizes with the position Jack feels he's in. You know, Sam is still coming into everything he does with heart. Absolutely. And it's like you said, it's just pure, not empathy, almost like projection onto Jack. Because Sam is like, Jack needs this. I mean, because what has Sam been doing? He's been just go, 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 like you said, and, and keeping on the hunts and keeping on the hunt for Dean to keep his mind off of this just absolute terror that he's feeling over the whole Dean situation. And so he's looking at Jack, who is almost like similarly demoralized, but for a completely different reason. And he turns to Bobby and says, he needs this because, you know, if Sam were in Jack's shoes, this is exactly what he would do. But I think that when, when Sam was talking to Jack in Jack's room earlier, it was, it was made obvious that Sam is not exactly comfortable talking to Jack because he's just been gone. Yeah, that there's still maybe a little level of pantomime with what he's doing because there's so much on his shoulders and he's missed so much of what's going on with Jack. 
But compare it to what we saw with Jack and Bobby in this in the gym. It that was so much more like organic and genuine. And I would say that Bobby cares more than even Sam does in this moment. Well, these are people that have spent time together and have grown comfortable with each other, but Sam has to put things into action and I feel like he wants to help Jack because this is among the things that he perceives as solvable, you know? Okay, Jack is feeling useless. We'll give him something that'll help him feel useful. You know, I can check that thing off the list. This is a way I can help him, even if it's not the the complete thought. But I mean, with all of this critique that I'm throwing, I still think that he made the right decision for Jack. It was just um, probably a detrimental decision to their group. For sure, for sure. And oh, yeah, so Jack is all, yeah, let's go. He starts loading up a gun immediately. He, he puppy dog runs out that door. Uh-huh. Um, like, oh boy, let's go. And and then we go to, back to Motown Meats. I'm going to keep saying that name, like, every time I have opportunity to say it, because I love the <laughs> name of the restaurant. Motown Meats. And we're back at Motown Meats, and uh, Kip has his coffee, and Cass is just so fucking done in this whole scene okay now i loved this scene like i i I really did this is this is the scene where i was like again on the first watch i was kind of like oh kip but on the second watch i was like this is really really interesting this is really well written this is like this is a very interesting narrative um i actually have in my notes b i want to blow by blow give me the scene (laughs) (laughs) i want everything in this scene because i want to talk about like i think that every line of dialogue in this scene was just so fun and you could dissect it to pieces we're, we're seeing the cracks in the facade that kip is projecting here because he says that he just drinks coffee because he likes the taste just like you know salt water taffy and babies and <laughs> that he's being a good host just the way like mother would want him to so there's all these different aspects of his personality that are shining through real quick on each of these lines here and cast questions like why am i here like am i bait and kip says like that's what castile's for isn't it i liked that line i was like what a shot to the solar plexus uh-huh oh yeah for sure that was that that definitely hit where it hurt but i did like the line and also it was almost meta mm-hmm. you know because of what what we did with cast this episode yeah exactly uh, like yeah and it's pretty much the writer maybe even poking fun at himself for shuttling cast into this role again yes and yeah so kip says that he needs something from sam and he had a revelation thanks to michael thought it over and and he wants everything. And like we discussed earlier, I really like how quickly this shuttles along backstory for his character. Um, gives us further insight into who Michael's been talking to. And it also raised the question to me of what sort of implications came for the people that Michael spoke to. Because if Kip had one conversation with him and this is the way that he went, then, you know, where did Jamil go after this conversation? Where did these other people that Michael was talking to, what did they do with this meeting? Now that's interesting because... I didn't even consider, I was going to say the people that Michael spared, 
okay? Because I read this as, like, that first scene when Michael says, and you don't deserve to be saved, and we kind of cut to this standoff that's not really a standoff. I just assumed that Michael killed him, Jamil. But, um, so then I was looking at Kip later on, like, oh, so however Kip answered the question he was spared by Michael. He must have answered in a fashion that Michael deemed honest or honorable. Well, well, I don't even know if that was true because Kip said like he had to think it over to have the answer because when approached with it, he didn't know. And so to me, that suggests that when Michael was going around pulling plebs on their opinion of what they want, they are so far beneath him that cleaning up after these conversations isn't on his radar. My impression was, you know, he talks to Jamil, he leaves. He talks to Joe, he leaves. He talks to Kip, he leaves. He does doesn't care about any of these people. He cares about the opportunity to judge them wanting. I love that because my impression, my first impression, my second impression, this is my second time watching the episode, was that he killed Jamil because Jamil didn't answer in a way that Michael approved of. And so operating off of that assumption, it was so interesting to me with Kip where Kip was, we were told that Kip was asked the same question and he survived. So, so me, my brain's going like, oh, what, like, like, why, why would Michael spare but but you're totally right. My assumption is just that an assumption. Um, that's so interesting. B, you pulled the <laughs> best out of me, and I love it. Clapping hands. We have such good talk. I love it. Yeah, there's always something that like you don't think of it on your own, and it's hearing uh-huh. the perspective of other people that becomes so exciting. And guys, this is why we just adore your asks and your emails and your comments on our meta because we we're here for it. We want the conversation to continue. <laughs> I know. Like we we do this every week, but uh, but we could go for literal hours and hours and hours so at us guys come on yeah moving on <laughs> so now we get a driving scene and sam confronts his mother about what he is seeing as like an aggravating optimism yeah i thought like okay so this whole episode i was just like sam stop being mean to your mom like come on yeah, <laughs> I I had such empathy for both of them. You know, Mary is trying to find the silver lining and trying to have confidence in the future that they want to obtain. You know, we're going to find him. Things are going to be fine. Whereas where Sam is sitting, he feels that he needs to be more objective. He needs to be able to look at, you know, here's the half dozen ways that this could go. And here's how I'm going to move my chess pieces along the way. And so to try and assume an outcome is really dangerous for the shoes that he's sitting in. Well, because, well, for Sam, at least, it's because, again, he's, he's the one that's making the decisions. The weight is all on his shoulders. He doesn't have Dean in the driver's seat to turn to, to work it through with. It's all on Sam. So, you know, kicking off from that, he is feeling worn down. Yes. It's been three weeks. 
he has to hold so many uncertainties in the air for so long. And they are very obviously taking their toll. And and I think that at this point, to hear Mary's endless optimism, it's just like a ice pick to the temple every time. Like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, because he raises the specter that, you know, Dean's already been burned out by Michael. We we don't know what is going on. And Mary is just, no, we can't think of it on that grounds. Dean is scared and alone and the worst might happen, but we have to stay on the good because otherwise the bad is just going to be overwhelming. And was there anything of note or interest in the Bobby-Jack conversation? I don't remember. For the most part, I found it more interesting in hindsight that Bobby was glancing to Jack, who seems quite desolate in the passenger seat, and he said, you saved me and mine a dozen times over, like, in the apocalypse world, and whatever happens, we got your back. Oh! Seeing where we go in this season, I mean, we're not going to speak about it now. It was just interesting to me to see this moment between their characters and then how that evolves down the road. Sorry for shouting at you. No, it it's a shouty moment. Again, I'm like, I don't want to get into it, but like an angry face is drawn onto the screen right now. Uh, I'm, uh, in my notes, uh, I have a lot of faces, uh, uh, smiling or <laughs> crying faces in my notes, and I should I should have a little a little mean face. It's like on a scale of one to ten, how much pain are you in right now? <laughs> So we get to the parking lot and we run through, we vaguely are like, okay, we're going through the plan. Uh, Mary holds up Ruby's knife and she's like, the demon killing knife? Like, we've forgotten what it is. Like, it hasn't been a thing for the past decade, but... I I took it more that she was surprised that he was giving it to her because he has to follow it up saying like, no, they're going to search me. I'm going to lose it. You take it. It's smarter. But then in the fight later, it's like everyone's armed with an angel blade anyways. And I'm like... Oh, I know. I feel like perhaps the choice to have Sam immediately searched upon entry was to help raise the stakes for us. But at the same time, I'm like, Kip's whole mannerism, when we're sitting in Sam's perspective, I'm like, it begs you to not take him seriously. So I'm like, even though they're trying to raise the stakes by having Sam go in unarmed, it still is at the same point where Sam's like, are you serious? And yeah, it didn't convince me, but I also think that it didn't need to convince me. Sam Sam goes in alone to Motown Meets and, and he's greeted by Kip. He's finally introduced as Kipling? Kipler? What's his name? Kipling. Kipling. Kip to my friends. <laughs> and Sam's just like, dead-eyed looking at this guy that's a full foot shorter than him he's just like wrap it up motions inside of his head meanwhile kip is like legend icon shoulders hair beyonce Uh, like this whole string of things where it sounds like okay yeah anyways i'm here for my friend like you can see he's uh not even looking at kip he's looking back at Cass and just walks past him he's refusing handshakes like Kip is, again, being very performative. He's putting on this song and dance, and Sam is just like, I do not care what tune you're playing. Uh I want to go now. I loved, I loved everything Sam did there. Cool. Kip. And then he walks straight past to go check on Cass. I, I, uh, and, and Cass is little, I'm more embarrassed than hurt. I'm like, yeah, buddy, I'm sorry you had to go through this. (laughs) 
Exactly. I love, I, I liked everything. I love the Beyonce. You're an idol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Sam Sam's like, I have had three weeks of insomnia due to stress. Like, I I don't need this right now. Uh-huh. And Kit finally rounds around to the point. Yeah. Maggie and Jack are pulled in and Jack immediately gets a bead on because this poor kid hasn't suffered enough. And Sam's face turns a bit more calculating. Like, he's already like, okay, I was attempting to humor it to this point and now my humor is gone. And Kip throws out this thing of, like, late capitalism. I'm like, this fucking guy is full of so much jargon. Please stop. And he wants to make a deal. Sam is just incredulous and Kip calls him to sit. And again, Sam is refusing all of this shit. Uh And Kip calls him a barbarian. Yeah, as he's, like, peeling peanuts onto the floor. Chewing with his mouth open. I'm like, you... Yeah, again, it's... So performative. It's all these little elements of an act. And and I think it was done well. Again, for like the fifth time, I will say, in the moment of watching it, so I'm telling you, my lovely, lovely listeners, go watch it again, because I know you were mad the first time, because I'm sure as shit know I was. And, but on the second watch, I was just like, oh, this is... Oh, I love him. Yeah, there's more to it than meets the eye. Right, right, right. I was very endeared to his character this watch through. Yeah. And he brought up a really interesting subject too, that hell is without a king. And I feel like there is definitely fertile ground there if they ever wanted to explore it. I mean, we've got a shorter time period now, if they do, with only one season. But it was still an interesting concept that, you know, if this was a wedding, then Sam is the father that Kipling is going to go get the blessing from. (laughs) Like... May I please, sir? Can I be the king of hell? Exactly. He, he's doing what he can to try and force them to work together. He basically said exactly that. Please, sir. Well, so I immediately went back to what Kip said to Cass. He said, I need something from Sam Winchester. Now, of course, Kip is not showing that same, he's not showing his hand to Sam in this moment, but that I need something from Sam was so telling. And then when he brought up the empty throne, my ears immediately perked up. Mm-hmm. And then Kip goes on to say, I want the Crowley deal. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Yes. Uh, and then he lays out this thing. And then he even lays out why. So this is when he goes into the details of, of why he is performing and the image of the king and why he needs this 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 deal with Sam that he says... Oh, well, I'm not afraid of you, but they are. Yes. A.K.A. the entirety of hell. A.K.A. the the king must have, uh, must be, almost like must be Winchester approved to not be respected, but to... To command the rest. Right, right. To almost like offer security, a level of security. So that's, that's one level of it. That's, that's one theory. Now... Of course, where my mind is immediately going is not, you know, the demons are afraid that if the Winchesters aren't happy with Hell's rule, then uh, the Winchesters will put a stop to it as they so often have. There is no such thing as a too powerful creature in Hell that 
you know, the Winchesters haven't put down. There's no command that if you're not Winchester approved, like there's a reason that Crowley, this, this 300 year old demon who is not the best of any, of anybody or anything, but there's a reason that he was so long lasting. It was because the Winchesters didn't get into their heads that he needed to go. And this is what Kip is looking for. They had an organic relationship with Crowley, whereas Kip is coming in with this forced one. He says, like, he's not that Ponzi son of a bitch. He rode with Genghis Khan. He does all of these things that are not the current role that he's playing. This is the role it needs to be. Yeah, this counterintuitivity, counterintuitivity, counter, <laughs> counter, 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 yeah. that he is behaving one way and yet he thinks you know this is going to get me into your graces naturally there's so much around the board where it's like honey you didn't think this through again that is the surface that's what we're being told now i'm going to option two which is when kip says uh what what does he say it's not i don't fear you but they do is it respect or is it fear he's not afraid of sam but the other demons are okay yeah so it is i don't fear you but they do now we can say the winchesters have a reputation but me i'm thinking boy king boy king boy (laughs) king sam boy king sam i i am freaking out i am freaking out in this moment because it, it is exactly as you said this underling like crowley who went to the night of hell in his fishing cabin to say this is your scepter and then uh the night of hell what was his name doesn't matter and and Crowley, so Crowley says, "This is your seat. Uh, Lucifer is gone. Please accept." And then and then this Knight of Hell says, "I don't want it. I don't want this throne. You can have it. Whatever." It's basically it's the exact same situation where this demon is coming to the rightful heir to the throne, and the only reason that the only way he can take it and hold it is if he is Boy King approved. Yeah, I I thought it was no mistake that it was Sam in this moment. Like, I don't think you would, there would be next to no impact if it was Dean that they were approaching. The fact that it was Sam that Kip needed the blessing from was everything in this moment. Because there is all those subtleties that you're talking about. This was the boy king of hell. This is who was intended for this throne and who has said no to it. And even though we see Kip has masked this query with all the trappings of, I want the Crowley deal, in actuality, it is like, you are the rightful heir that I am requesting this from. Like, that's all the subtext that we're getting from it. Yeah, he does, Kip does need Sam to agree to this. Yeah, and he's doing everything he can to kind of smooth along the way because when things start to break down, he threatens to stop being Crowley and start being who he really is. Because this is his one shot. He has to get he has to get approval out the door or he has nothing. Because Sam says, Sam says, like, you're not Crowley. You know you're not Crowley. I know you're not Crowley, and they know you're not Crowley. So no, I'm not listening to you. Yeah, Sam, Kip is going on along his way and then Sam just says no. And even though Kip is trying to sweeten the deal by knowing things, it's not going to do anything. And it's immediately interrupted with Bobby and Mary coming in with guns a-blazing. <laughs> uh-huh. 
and then and yes and so we enter into this firefight this extended like fight scene that is all over the place we have parkour demon off the wall we have uh mary smashing demons with like a bottle in the face uh uh-huh Maggie and Jack go into hiding and then poor Jack, he steps out because Bobby's had his gun kicked aside and he's on the ground getting his ass whooped. But even though Jack goes to help, he goes down quick. Uh, I know. I know. Yes. And Maggie comes to, no, Mary comes to Maggie, gives her an angel blade. We get this little Arya Stark moment of stab him with the pointy end. I, I know, I was like, did the Apocalypse World have Game of Thrones? Or it, has she been, like, Netflix binging since she got home? <laughs> or since she got to the to the new world? Uh, I thought that was, I thought that was funny. But then, but then, you know, also, you have to take a moment to be like, why is Maggie even here? If Jack shouldn't have come, then what the fuck is Maggie doing here? Oh, I Sticking know. Sticking with the pointy end, okay. I know, and it's like, I guess she couldn't have weaponry since part of it was that she would be bait with Jack. But yeah, she seems to be very overwhelmed with what's going on, and you're like, this poor kid right here. Like, you guys I didn't know. even do a second glance, did you? Yeah, yeah. It, it really was a, why is Maggie here moment? We gave Jack a hard time. Like, look at this poor kid. Yes. And uh, Sam gets locked in with Kip, and we don't even, like, cut to Cass at any point. Oh, when we do cut to Cass, he's doing, like, a little wriggle in his chair, and he's looking around wildly, like, what's happening? I, I, poor Cass. I know, <laughs> and I, I would have loved if we had even a brief glimpse of him, like, fighting against his shackles, or doing something to give us the impression that he was trying to get involved in the fight, as opposed to just sitting there being like, what's going on behind me i'm trying to see sam and kip getting their asses whooped uh-huh he didn't even like call out to mary or or jack at any point he was just completely shuttled to the side he's he's there to be bait <sighs> and i'm like my poor son i know poor baby um yeah sam reels up and he grabs kip's arms and stabs him with it and this is when we get that epic moment of sam yelling out enough there will be no new king of hell not today not ever and throws the gauntlet down to these these guys oh, no and it's like okay i had the moment on rewatch here being like okay if these demons would follow kip then clearly they aren't like the smartest ones or maybe they're the ones who know this real side of kip but at any rate there's no loyalty there it's all strong arm tactics so yeah as soon as sam throws down that gauntlet they're like goodbye <laughs> Oh my gosh, this moment, this Sam moment was so epic. It was so good. It was so powerful. It really got me so excited. So wildly excited for the rest of the season. Wasn't this such a great hook? Uh, yeah, when they had it in the little teaser portions ahead of the premiere, that one line there was so evoking where you're just like, what's happening? What's going to go on to bring us to this point? It was phenomenal. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I love Sam. I love this whole episode. Jared did a fantastic job. Sam's my boy. It was great. It was great. Chef's kiss. Yes. Yes. 
Uh, my notes is just like literal, like on the page chanting King Sam, King Sam, King Sam. King. <laughs> I even elevated in capitals as I'm writing down, <laughs> and, like watching King Sam. Uh, oh, I know. I love that concept, and I love that we got to, however briefly, visit it in the show. And you know, it's not it's not over yet, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where they go with it. No, no spoilers. We'll see where they go with it. Yeah. So then the next scene, we are back at the bunker in the library and Sam is holding a beer to his brow and he is finishing up a phone call with Ketch. Cass comes in and asks in this really earnest voice if Sam's all right. I so appreciate that, you know, early in the episode, we got Sam doing the rounds with Sam and Mary and Sam and Jack. And now Cass gets a turn. It's so very rare that Cass gets a turn, but he he did this episode. So we have Sam and Cass talking together, and they have a really good conversation. We get a a little glimpse into how Cass is feeling about the Dean situation. Uh, You know, we've already heard Sam's and Mary's piece on it. And it was just really, I really do always appreciate those Sam and Cass friendship moments. Yeah, same here. I like how we're also seeing the aftermath of this bait situation, for lack of a better word, that Cass just went through. Like, he has done some reflecting on it, and he apologizes to Sam for going to go see demons about it. And I really liked that Sam turned that around and was like, no, I wish I had thought of that because I would do anything to find Dean. So I saw this as a moment where maybe Cass could have backslid on the character development that he'd been through, but Sam was there to keep that from happening to him. Exactly. And it was it was really good. And it was kind of a, not to throw any shade on Dean, but it was kind of a breath of fresh air to not see Cass immediately shut down in the way that Dean tends to do when we have these kinds of conversations with, but I do think it's like we, as the viewer, understand it as Dean's worry for Cass coming through when he gets mad that Cass took a stupid risk. But Sam really just offers a hand and comfort and empathy. And it was nice. Yeah, Sam does have an appreciation for being like perceptive, for being analytic about a situation. And if there's calculated risks to something, then he can see the merit in doing it. Whereas we see Dean more often than not being on the more emotive side where he is reacting with his gut and perhaps condemning something, whereas Sam would more go, no, I can see the logic behind it, and I kind of am about that. And and again, Dean's, you know, knee-jerk responses do usually come from a place of heart. Yes. So, uh, and then we get Jack, uh, Jack and Cass. Well, we get this tiny little scene of Mary and Bobby in the uh, kitchen with their beers and throw in an old man and a sunshine at each other. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're kicking off that will they, won't they. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's all I'm going to say about that for the moment <laughs> because we know there's, spoiler, not spoilers, upcoming episodes that more investigate that idea. So yeah, it's like you say, we are now going to cast checking in on Jack. And Jack is... Like, he doesn't even wait for the question from Cass. He just answers in almost exasperation that he's fine. And I like that Cass almost course corrects immediately into giving Jack some praise or at least some affirmation. Not that he was useful, but that just he was good. You know, it was good to have you there. Mm -hmm. 
And Jack doesn't really see it because he feels like all he did was, you know, be a punching bag. And Cass was like, yeah, bro, I was there. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, I mean, I mean, like, so Cass is still walking around with the split lip and the black eye. And and, and Jack is standing in front of the mirror trying to clean his, his own face. So this is coming back around to what even is, like, is there some bigger thing going on here with Cass? Like... I would almost like watch this episode and then I didn't have the thought at the time, but I, I would totally understand going into episode two with that like tin foil hat thought in my head. Is Cass human? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know because I had probably a different impression on my first watch, but the more time that goes on, I have kind of two boats that I sit in where it was either Cass... Well, maybe it's one predominant one, which is basically that Cass was not healing himself as maybe, I shouldn't say a form of punishment, but just that either his mind was on finding Dean and this is more representative that he's not looking after himself. He's more thrown himself into the people around him and what he needs to do there. You know, he's thinking of himself secondary. And then the other thing was maybe that more dark view that this is a form of punishment for himself, that he got trapped, he got beat up, and, you know, he might as well wear the bruises for his fuck up. Yeah, but like he didn't even offer to heal Jack. I mean, so so we've seen this from Dean before. I would have loved, I would have loved to have seen it more like explicitly stated, where Cass offers to heal Dean and Dean just refuses him, right? And we can read into that, especially knowing Dean's nature as you know him punishing himself for for his perceived fuck ups. Yeah. So would the offer to Jack bring anything to what his character is going through right now? Like, if he was offered to be healed by Cass and then refuses. Would that just cloud sort of the situation that we're seeing for Jack right now? Or would it offer an extra light to it? No, no, not Jack. I think that it would have been really interesting to see Cass offer to heal Jack and then to heal Jack and for Jack to say, well, what about you? Mm. So for Cass to explicitly, textually just kind of shrug off his own well-being. Yeah, to extend health and vitality to someone else while not giving it to himself. Exactly. That would have been super interesting. I liked also that Cass is trying to comfort him and saying like, you know, your grace should regenerate, but if it doesn't, then, you know, Jack still is concerned that he can't do anything and he doesn't have anything. And I really like that Cass turns around and says like, no, that's not true. You've got me. You've got all of us. We have your family and we are going to find Dean. And it's not shown to be exactly like what Mary's doing. Like Mary is forcing herself to have optimism. But to me, I read that Cass genuinely has faith. Like he is not considering the alternative. He just can't picture a world where they don't succeed in this. And he is trying to extend that same level of confidence to Jack that things will be all right, including Jack himself. I I totally agree. And, And it was so refreshing to see Cass kind of like telling Jack the same things that we've been, you know, wishing he would accept for himself yeah. the past few seasons. That this is almost a lesson that he is learning by doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, by telling Jack you have family, he is also affirming for himself that he has family, you know, because Cass is not one to lie to the people that he cares about if he can help it. And so for him to tell these things to Jack in earnest, then it speaks of a measure that he has internalized these thoughts of himself too. And I really like that. Absolutely. He's telling Jack, you are not the measure of your, your utility is not the measure of your worth. Mm -hmm. And that's something, it's the Cassiel factor. Yes. And it's so, it was so good to hear. And, and like I said, we're going to be hearing more about it later. Yes. And I'm, I'm so happy. It's about time. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have Sam in the war room. Sam heading to his bedroom. Oh, oh, no, you're so right. Yes. Yeah, he was finally looking like he was ready to retire for the night. And then, lo and behold, an unknown number is calling. <sighs> no rest for the wicked. Yeah, no, this this poor boy, it's like any second he's going to sleep or eat. It's like, no, we're going to keep that mood lit low. You better keep your social up. Oh, I know, right? When he handed his bowl of soup off to yeah. to to Mary, I was just like, it, I, the, the directing and the writing for this episode were very good. Yes, we got a lot of show moments. It was great. It was really good. So uh, Sam gets this call. And here's Joe saying that, yeah, we have a problem. Uh-huh. And we go into our final scene, which is Michael speaking to a vampire, just basically pointing out that this monster's nature is not pretending. It's wants are pure, simple, and clean, and that makes it worth saving, and that they'll work well together. So again, like we've seen just in the span of this episode that Michael is going around looking for something that passes his level of judgment. And when we hear what he's saying about this vampire, you know, you have simple needs and that is what makes you worthy of saving. I'm like, Michael just wants a pet. Like he doesn't want the complexity of contradicting wants and behaviors. He wants something that is very simple and straightforward and useful to him. Well, I would almost consider it He's looking for a heaven on earth where the host of angels is very, you know, they're very simple. They're sheep, right? Oh, interesting. They don't have wants or needs or like, just look at season four and five and look at, look at the last two seasons with the apocalypse world. The angels are soldiers and they're mindless. They're subservient. Blind, yeah, soldiers at that. And they're very simple creatures. I mean, like, putting it in, like, the most, like, general of layman's turn, they are soulless in a way. And I guess Michael's already seen that the angels in this world have been corrupted by what he perceives as human influences, so there's no real saving it to him. You know, he's going to throw that baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. And there's none left. Yeah. And there's only a handful of angels left. He has no army. So he's, I think, like you said, he's looking for a pet. He's looking for worship. He He's looking for further sheep. He is. He is looking for further sheep. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways you can take it. You know, I, I think that in the moment when I was watching it, I was a little like, like where is this going? What are his motivations? Oh, see, I was thrilled when I first saw that he was turning to the monsters and being like, you know what? I like you guys and we're going to work well together. I thought that was such a compelling turn, you know, that our world gets put under judgment and what is found most worthy is those things that people would shy away from, you know, I I want to bite and so I'm going to bite. Just Uh going with more impulsive behavior without the higher forethought that we're trained from being 
children that yeah. truth, honor, justice, love, peace, all of these concepts. He's like, no, you guys don't even really get it. Let's just stick back to the basics. These concepts that Michael views as lies, lies of self, because no one holds true to anything. Yeah. To any virtue or any of this. What they say they want is not. Yeah, he's disenchanted with these concepts. And to see yes. people who still believe in them is just disappointing to him. He considers you unworthy at that point if you still have faith in these higher concepts. Yes. And I, I, I did like the vampire Michael conversation. And I thought that that was a great ending line. Yeah. And to keep bashing this nail on the head, it wasn't even a conversation. It was Michael speaking to this vampire sitting in a chair. Very true. The vampire has no speaking line. So again, I'm like, he's not looking for a dialogue. He's not looking to be challenged. He's looking for a pet that he can point in the direction that is best benefiting him. Yeah. Or is just most pleasing to him. It doesn't even benefit him. He sees himself as top dog. He's got nothing. He is God. God is gone and I am absolute. So it's just like he's steering the world. It's his own personal sandbox, his playground. Yeah, this space is open to my taking. I can mold it as I see fit. And this is what I have deemed fit. And I'm going to create a world in my image. A better world. And we don't exactly know at this point what went wrong in the apocalypse world. Or what he intends to fix in this one. So that's that's coming up. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Yeah, it was a good it was a good episode. Honestly, yeah. I remember at the time it coming out that some people were like it felt really slow, but at the same time I would argue that it was what it needed to be, you know. We carry through the tone and fears and worries that came up from the season 13 finale and we keep that pace that it's introduced and carry forward with it. Do do you have any final thoughts? What was your takeaway? Um I love the invoking of the image of Sam, the boy king of hell, and just having that moment to see the denizens of hell that are scrabbling to have that same influence that he has. And Sam has, he doesn't even need to put effort into wielding that influence. He doesn't care to, it just emanates from him. Be no fair, that was my takeaway. <laughs> that was Well, too bad. Pick another one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I um Anayel in her skirt. Anayel in her skirt. It was the coat. B. Yeah, I liked the skirt. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Sam throughout this episode, phenomenal. And I was just so hyped. I was so hyped about Sam's command of the room there. Yes. It was so powerful. Yes, to see him fall in that role. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, he doesn't even he doesn't even have to try for it. He doesn't even want it. He just exudes it. Yes. It was it was loads of fun. Um I don't have another one. I just like that one. <laughs> Yeah, no, that one was excellent. I guess the other thing I could do is that, you know, Kip, I, I'm sorry for judging you uh, oh. harshly on that first watch. You had a lot of depth to you and your your arc concludes in one episode. And I think that that was right. But at the same time, you had a lot of nuance that you were carrying while being so irritating and intentionally so. He did. So thank you. Yeah. I'm sorry that we, we did you dirty by not giving you the glory you deserved on initial watch. I, I was actually pretty sad that he, he got he got spoked out on, and his one episode arc i was uh uh kip you were gone too soon <laughs> gone too soon yeah 
Yeah. Well, so that was episode one. <laughs> yeah. Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah. And next week, Sunday, we publish every Sunday. We are going to do episode two. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this. We have we enjoy doing it, and we want you guys to enjoy it too. And we want you to engage with us. Uh, you can reach us on social media. We're No Chick Flick Podcast on Gmail. Uh, if you want to email us some some questions, if you there's some meta you want us or some topics or or something you think that we missed or that you wanted to. To elaborate on i mean i would love to hear more thoughts right do you guys want that 20 minutes on me uh talking about sam and 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 the hunter hub because like hey yeah we're we're on tumblr at no chick flick podcast on twitter at no chick flick pod and our gmail is no chick flick podcast at gmail.com yes and as always if you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts that is an excellent way to keep updated on all of the nonsense that we want to talk about in the future yeah and if you enjoy our episodes then uh leave a review and you know we're on tumblr with some of our meta so spread that around too it'd be fun and sunday sunday be there be there Uh, yeah sunday sunday be there be there thank you for joining guys and we'll talk to you later yes bye bye